blessing it is to uh, be with you all this morning. And, and what a blessing it was to uh, worship corporately and to join the choir in saluting our God. Amen? It's always a blessing to be able to lift up our voices in unison to the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, in a recent poll done by George Gallup, he found that 70% of Americans have said that the church is not meeting their needs. And when asked what these needs were, there were six common responses. One, to believe that life is meaningful and has purpose. Two, to have a sense of community and deeper relationships. Three, to be appreciated and respected. Four, to be listened to and heard. Fifth, to grow in faith. And six, to receive practical help in developing a mature faith. Now, each of these six common responses is real needs that a person who is seeking to grow in knowing the Lord should desire to be met. However, I don't believe that the average American local church consistently meets these needs. I believe that in order for these needs to be consistently met, The church must be an authentic community. And I'm confident that even in this room today, for those who would have participated in a survey of this kind, that many of us would have agreed with the 70% and said, yeah, I don't believe that church is meeting all of these needs in the way that they should. The Bible shows us that a Big part of the Christian life is community. An authentic Christian community is what happens when the people of God embrace all that God has called them to be. And according to the Bible, he has called us to be one body with many members. That is, God has called us to live our lives together as one for the sake of our joy and growth in Christ. Christian community doesn't solve all of our problems. Being around authentic Christians and experienced life-on-life relationships doesn't solve all of our problems. In fact, sometimes it creates more problems. However, authentic Christian community encourages us to look to the cross of Christ in the midst of brokenness and in the midst of messy relationships. Authentic Christian community points us back to Jesus, our load bearer. And it reminds us that through Christ, we are able to bear each other's burdens as as well as forgive each other, encourage each other, and travel through the chaos of everyday life. And as a church, we have been going through what we call our vision series. And our vision series is setting a vision on what we believe a God has called the church uh, to do and who God has called us to be. And we've built our vision around four statements that we are a peculiar people living ordinary lives together with gospel intentionality, 
seeking to show off an extraordinary Savior. What we believe is that when the church, when we gather around God's word and say whatever the word of God say, that we are to be as his people, and then when we pursue Christ and pursue to be that, that we then not only fulfill and have a personal joy fulfilled, but we also are able to pass that joy on to others and to be a light for Christ. Now, as we're going through this Vision Spirit series, I, I understand and I see that at a, at a practical level or even a pragmatic level, we may uh, be discouraged and say, well, when we're coming to church, we're not necessarily receiving a, a practical how-to type of sermon. And we've got issues, and we all do, and our issues have issues, and we've got pains, and we've got scars, and, 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 and learning about what it means to be a flourishing member or learning about Christian community doesn't really speak directly to that issue. But I want to encourage you that it does and that what God is doing is he is giving us the brick and and giving us the necessary things that we need to build something strong and sturdy. And when we talk about who we are to be and what we are to do when we when we pursue that, then the body of Christ is able to supply each other's needs. So when you go through a storm, when you go through a trial, you're not going through it alone. But now you're going through it with committed Christians who aren't afraid to speak into your life God's truth and hold you up on both sides. So as we go through this vision series and as we look at who God has called us to be and what he's called us to do, we want to embrace this and say that this is a season in our lives where God has given us a map. And we want to study that map and know that map and allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform our lives so that we can transform our community. We're going to start today as we continue in our vision series. At first, we looked at what a flourishing member is. Today, we're going to look at, we're going to start talking about Christian community and the gift that God has given us in each other and being a part of the body of Christ. And we're going to talk about authentic Christian community. Christian community set forth in the scriptures. And the reason we're, we're doing this is because Uh, We want to go back to the Bible and be and follow the example of of early Christians and being in each other's life in a in a healthy and encouraging way. So we're not we want to fight against isolation. That's what we're going to talk about today. But we also want to fight against immersion. Those are two extremes of community. Isolation says I'm by myself. I don't really need anyone else. Immersion says I am so codependent. I can't do anything without anyone else. Right. And we're just constantly calling each other and getting on each other's nerves. That's not what we're promoting. We're promoting authentic Christian community. April 5th, 2015, we are going to launch community groups. All right? Community groups. And what community groups are, community groups are a geographical, organized community of believers uh, that participate in and experience life-on-life relationships with each other. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, map out Louisville and learn and figure out exactly where we live. And in each region and area of our city, we are going to have home Bible studies and gather around in an organized way in each other's homes to continue to to grow together in Christian community. So we are kind of building our vision around two things. One, we are a church that gathers together and worships God on Sunday. 
When we come in this building on Sunday morning, it is to worship God and thank him for all that he has done in our lives. It is also to to remind ourselves that we are on enemy territory, that we live in a world that Satan has contaminated and and owns in many ways. And that as Christians who are a, a minority, we are on mission by God, to go into the darkness and to bring people out of darkness into the light. That's what Sunday morning is. It is to encourage us, but also to remind us that while we're at work, while we're at home, while we're with our neighbors, that we are in the middle of warfare. And God has called us to be vigilant and alert because Jesus is coming back. And everyone who does not know Jesus when he comes back will go to hell. They will be eternally separated from Jesus in the presence of God and in complete and utter misery for all eternity with no hope. Experiencing the flames of God's wrath. That's a reality. That's a truth. So we can't just freelance through our life when we have been given this message and 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 a message of good news that points people to hope and eternal life with God eternal joy with God. So we gather together on Sundays, and then throughout the week, we're going to scatter together and do life on life together. So each region, each area is going to have a a pastor or leader who is going to oversee the home Bible studies in that area. And then those who are, especially starting off, those who are are, our most uh, mature and committed Christians, they will be leading uh, a home Bible study group of probably 12 to 15 people. And what what we will do is at least once a week, we will come together. Instead of coming down to the church on a Wednesday night to have Bible study, you will be able to go a few blocks away or whatever home is closer, gather around, share a meal, open up God's word, discuss Sunday sermon and see how exactly we should apply it to our lives, pray together and hold each other accountable. That's a big vision. And whenever we set out a big vision, there's big gaps and there's a lot of questions. But I want to encourage you that whenever God gives a big vision, God supplies what that vision needs. From Genesis to Revelation, God gave Moses a big vision. Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. One man taking on the most powerful nation in the world to release two million slaves. God didn't give him all the details. And when he did, Moses didn't believe it, but God brought him out. Nehemiah, big vision, go, restore the walls of Jerusalem, even though you have no experience and hardly any people who will believe that God sent you to do it, but but God sent Nehemiah to do it. Mary, you are going to give birth to a son, to a man named Jesus, who's going to save the world. How in the world am I going to give birth to a baby boy? And I've never been with a man. And how is he going to save the world from their sins? I don't know. There's a lot of gaps in his vision. But when God gives a vision, God supplies. He supplies. So why are we doing this? Why why are we going this route and and, and changing things up? Why not just be comfortable and come into church and, and have a good time on Sunday and leave? And leave. There's a a number of reasons why, and we're going to talk about that today. Our our community groups are going to help supply three needs. Number one is going to help us to keep focused on our mission. 
when you are spending time week to week with the same people and just growing to know Jesus and constantly being reminded that we are to go into the world. It's going to help us to become disciples and more committed learners and disciples. And it's going to help us to care for each other. Some of us, we walk in week in and week out and hardly anyone knows what's really going on in your life. And as a result, you feel defeated and you're depressed. But God has a remedy for that. God has a remedy for that. So we're going to be looking at at four things today. We're going to give a vision, a a foundation of authentic community. I'm going to show you in the Bible why we as a church need this. And then we're going to begin to travel and show you week after week for the next few weeks how this is going to look. And by the end of this, I believe that God is going to have our hearts ready to move with this vision. The first thing we need to understand about authentic Christian community is this. We were created for community. We were created for community. We were created for community. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 26. And listen to what Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let us make man in our image and after our own likeness. Now, when we look at this in the very beginning, Genesis, the book of beginnings, we see that Moses records that God is speaking and he says, let us make man in our image. Now, some would venture to say that God was talking to angels when he says us and our, that he was talking to angelic beings and that these angelic beings uh, and God came together and created man. But we know that that's not true because the Bible constantly affirms that man was created in the image of God. Man was not created in the image of angels. What we see here in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 is the first hint to a doctrine or a teaching that is known as the Trinity. The Trinity is a teaching that we see clearly laid out in Scripture that God is one. There is one God in three persons. And that each person is fully God. That is a a Christian doctrine. That means that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that God, by his nature and essence, is a community within himself. In fact, God is not only a community within himself, God is the perfect community. And he is the model of what community should look like. When we look at the Trinity, we see a vision of what our lives and our own personal relationships should reflect. Our lives should be filled with relationships that are celebrating diversity and unity. Diversity and unity. There are three persons in the Godhead, yet the Bible says God is one. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. There are three unique and different persons who share the same essence and makeup. They are diverse in that they each have different roles. The Father's role is to plan, uh, to plan, to put forth a plan for the human race. We see that Jesus' role was to come and to save those whom the Father had called. We see that the Holy Spirit, and he saved us, of course, by sacrificing his life on the cross. 
We see that the Holy Spirit's role is then to come and to sustain the creation and to soften the hearts of those who don't know Jesus, whom God is drawing to himself. They each have different roles, and they're each different persons, yet they are unified, meaning that the father never had beef with the son because of the son's personal sin. And the son never has beef with the Holy Spirit. They never go to sleep mad at each other. They are different in their roles, yet they're diverse. And each and every member of the Trinity, at some point throughout the biblical narrative, submits and show to each other. They show a mutual submission. Community and our lives are to to be a to, to look to this vision that, that God has set and to and to fall in line with that and say everyone is not like me and I should celebrate that diversity to say just because someone is in a position of authority over me does not mean that I'm not equal with them and I should be able to submit to authority without feeling like I'm less of a human being because I'm under their authority. Jesus is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God, yet they submit to the will of the Father. This Trinity, this triune God, is a picture of how our relationship should look. And then we see in Genesis 1.26, he says, so let us go, he says, when Moses reveals that God said, let us create man in our image, he, he teaches us that God created us to be in community. Let us create man in our image. We were created for community. God is a community. We are created in God's image. We are a social and relational people. We were created that way. That's just how God made us. God has built that into us. It is a part of our genetic engineering. We need relationships that help us to to walk with God and and that encourage us to walk with each other in a way that the Godhead lives and walks with each other. You know, that's why things like solitary confinement is such a torture for human beings. Anthony Graves, a, a formerly assigned a death row inmate had this to say about solitary confinement. Solitary confinement is driving me crazy. I don't understand how someone can subject another human being to this punishment and think that it is justified. It is totally inhumane. There's no way around it. You really don't truly understand the impact of removing someone from human contact for years, or it can be even for weeks. It has an extreme negative effect on a person. We are built for human contact. It is so important. It is like removing, when solitary confinement is like removing someone from society. So many times when I was in it, I was shouting and I just wanted someone to talk to me or just shake my hand or or speak to me or, or acknowledge me. Why is solitary confinement so inhumane? Why is being alone so inhumane? Because God created us in his image and he created us for community. That's just how we were created, 
And we know this and we feel this in our everyday lives when you don't have a personal conversation with someone in a day. When your phone isn't going off with a text message. When, when it's a week and no one has affirmed you and, and told you that you are loved, you feel lonely and bored and begin to question whether or not you're a good person or whether or not anyone loves you. Why? Because you were created for community. That's why social media is such a huge deal. Because people want to connect with people and feel connected to people throughout the day, but it is not an authentic community. It is not the type of community that God has made for us to be satisfied and to have joy. It, it, it brings some sort of community, but it's not an authentic community. And that's why studies can show over and over and over the more a person uses social media, that there's a direct link between that person and happiness and depression. Because there's a false community there that doesn't quite scratch the itch that God genetically engineered in our hearts. You were created for more. God has a bigger vision for your life. God has a bigger plan for your life than to find your fulfillment in these things. As God told Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. He said, I will make him a helper fit for him. So it is true for every human being. It is not good for us to be alone. Adam and Eve experienced authentic community together as they sought the Lord and, and enjoyed his presence. As he walked throughout the cool of the garden, they were connected to the Lord, but they also was connected to each other. The Bible says that they were naked and unashamed. And in fact, at the end of chapter two, we see Adam crying out. This is bone. He says, at last. He says, at last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. When God had given him Eve, after God made the observation, Adam, he told Adam, it's not good for you to be by yourself. He gives Adam someone to be in community with, and Adam just goes crazy. He's like, at last, finally. Because God created him with that. They enjoyed each other. Authentic community brings pleasure. It makes us sing. It makes us dance. It, it brings out our artistic side. It, it stimulates our affection. When we have authentic relationships, we experience life at the level in which God created us to experience. Whether that's with our close Christian friends or spouse. But here's the tough truth. Authentic Christian community also will lead to us experiencing pain. Because human community, after the fall of Adam, is tainted by sin. Sin complicates our relationship. And that's the second thing we want to look at today. The second foundation for understanding our need for community is sin complicates and disrupts community. It complicates and disrupts community. When we go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, we read these words. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So we see Adam and Eve, God puts them into community. And the Bible says that that slithering serpent, Satan, came and he tempted Eve. And the Bible tells us and we see throughout the scriptures that that this was the fall of man. This is where sin came into the world, and it came into the world because Adam and Eve believed the the biggest lie that Satan tells, the lie that he continues to tell us and the lie that we continue to believe, that satisfaction is found around or away from God, that joy and satisfaction is found by us going around God or away from him rather than going through him. And that's what sin is. Sin is disobeying God. It is meeting, missing his mark and standard of holiness. Sin is when we believe that following God somehow keeps us and suppresses us from experiencing greater joy and greater satisfaction. When we, what we learn from this story is that sin brings death. It brings separation. As a result of Adam and Eve's sin, we know that death entered into the world, meaning that there's a time when we are going to have to to die. But that's not the only thing that this story teaches us. It also teaches us that distrust entered into the world. Not only death, but distrust. Sin breeds distrust. Sin breeds messiness. Sin breeds brokenness. That's what we see in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves lion cloths. So they were once naked and they were once free and, and Satan came and, and tempted Eve and, and said, listen, in order for you to have true satisfaction, all you have to do is eat from this tree. The reason God doesn't want you to eat from this tree is because he knows that you will be just like him. And the foundation of all sin is pride and self-conceit, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, wanting to be in control, wanting to be comfortable, wanting to be seen as significant. Eve, like us, we believe that lie. She went for that lie. Distrust came. Now she's no longer naked and unashamed with Adam, but they're covering each other up, sleeping at opposite sides of the bed, pulling cover from each other, trying to talk the other person into the other room to sleep for the night. Right? That's what sin does. It separates us. It fractures our relationships with each other. It isolates us from God and each other. The second most popular lie that Satan constantly tells is that life is better lived that way. Life is better lived in isolation. Life is better lived when you simply don't trust anyone. Satan tells us that relationships hurt and that people are too messy. Satan tells us not to mess with people and to to do us. 
In essence, what is he doing? He is telling us to put on fig leaves and and fight the urge to be transparent and, and only reveal parts of you because other people won't be able to handle the real you. Many of us in here, we come to church week after week after week and we are wearing fig leaves. We are wearing fig leaves. We think that being a Christian means just just getting by and, and telling people and showing people the good side of you. With the, the fig leaves that we wear, they're called leaves of self-reliance and self-protection. And why do we wear those leaves? Because people have sinned against us. People have hurt us because people are messy, because people do disappoint, because people do tell your business to hurt you. So we isolate ourselves. But listen, here's the thing. God has not called us to live with these borders and barriers. And when we do live with fig leaves, we experience A less than type of life. Less than what God has called us to experience. That's why God did not allow Adam and Eve to to remain with fig leaves on. But he made a sacrifice in the garden and he covered them with cloth. He covered them with his garments. The garments of his choice. Which are not garments of distrust and isolation. So how do we know if we're self-reliant? Let me give you a quick self-reliant test to see if you are in authentic community and experiencing authentic community, or if you, like me, are are often tempted in walking in um, a a fake type of community, an inauthentic community. Here's a self-reliant test. It comes from a book called Gospel-Centered Community, and he says, here's a test. If you are proud of your ability to deal with your own problems and challenges without helping others. If you enjoy being asked for help, but you rarely rarely ask others for help. If it's difficult for you to be vulnerable about what's going on in your soul, because those are my issues to deal with. If you don't honestly think you'll need people to grow spiritually. If it's hard for you to receive gifts or help from people without wanting to pay them back somehow. If you may be thought of as a good Christian by others, but few people really know who you are. And if the you in the dark is not the you under the church lights, and you don't plan on ever coming clean. We are walking in self-reliance and isolation when relationships get hard and we tend to withdraw from them rather than to deal with what's difficult. Sin doesn't just make us self-reliant, but sin makes us self-protected. We keep people at arm's length to keep them from hurting us. We measure our spiritual maturity by what others think of us and not what the Bible says. I remember when I was in, in high school, um, had a, a close friendship with someone, and it was years later after I had uh, come to, 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 deep, to be deepened in my faith. And I remember I, I called this person, and God was pressing upon my heart. Um, I, the Lord allowed me to lead this person to know Jesus in high school. And uh, he called me to call this person and apologize 
Because even though I led them to Jesus and we went to church together often, I was a poor example of a Christian for them. On Sunday, we would do our thing and, and, and whatever, but when I wanted to sin, I would sin and, and, and sometimes drag them into it. So the Lord called me to repent to that person and say, I was so immature and please forgive me. And I'll never forget, uh, they said, listen, you were the best Christian I knew. There's no reason to say I'm sorry. And at that moment, what I did is I put on those fig leaves of self-reliance. And rather than stop the person and say, no, I was wrong, I kept wearing and I justified myself by them saying that I was a great Christian. But God was telling me I wasn't. And sometimes we justify whether or not we're real, how we're walking with Jesus by what other people says and sees rather than what God says and sees. And when we look at ourselves in light of what God says and sees, we, th- we are then able to humble ourselves and be broken and look to the cross and find true change. And that true change brings true joy. And that true joy brings true energy. And that energy brings a, a missional zeal that causes us not to settle for where we are. Some of us, we've been where we are for, for a very long time. And the reason we're not moving from where we are is because we say, well, I look just like everyone else and I'm living my life just like everyone else in isolation, showing what I want to show when I want to show it. And we want to understand that that's not how God called us to live. Listen, I know what fig leaves are like and I've worn fig leaves myself and there are many days that I put on fig leaves and I don't experience the, the, the community that God has called me to. I know what it means to be broken. I know what it means to feel betrayed. And I know what it means to, to, to have your faith in humanity punched and, and fractured. But God knows what it means too. And that's just a part of relationships when sin is involved. And we're sinners, and that's going to be involved. When we look at the book of Genesis, we see just the sinfulness of human beings. We, we see we can't get out of the first six chapters. After Adam and Eve falls, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. In chapter 4, we see Cain killing his brother Abel. In chapter 6, we see things that have gotten so bad that God relents and repents from even creating man. And that's not to mention Leah and Rachel and Jacob. And that's not to mention all these other, Joseph and all these other things. Sin makes things messy and it isolates us. But we were not created to isolate ourselves. Our natural response to the brokenness of others is to run in the other direction and to ignore the problem. But that is not going to bring healing to you. That is not going to bring uh, zeal to your life. Because here's the problem. When you isolate yourself, you fail to realize that you're part of the problem. You are a sinner just like that person who broke you. We are sinners just like everyone else. We don't only experience brokenness, we produce it. So when we isolate ourselves from others, we don't experience the best that God has for us because we are not living as God created us to live in community. And then we fall into a trap that Satan sets for us. That's why, that's why when we're alone, we are so tempted to do wrong. Isolation is not the answer to other people's sinfulness and messiness. 
You separating yourself from another brother or sister in Christ who has hurt you is not what is going to heal you. You separating yourself from the body of Christ because you were hurt at another church is not going to bring you healing. Think about when you're most tempted. It's normally when you're alone. It's normally when it's just you in a television or you in the Internet or you in a telephone with that other person who you trust is not going to spread what you're telling them, even though you know it's gossip. When there is no accountability, no one is asking you the tough questions and pushing you to look more like Jesus. Proverbs 18 and 1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, he breaks all out against all sound judgment. Why does he break out against all sound judgment? Because it is not good for man to be alone. We are prone to sin when we are alone. Satan continues to have a grip on many of us, and the reason why we're not having victory in the Christian life is because we're trying to walk through it alone. And by alone, what I mean is we may have Christian friends and we may know people in the church, but they don't really know us because we're covering ourselves with fig leaves. We're hiding. And when we're in that state, what we do is we point our finger at everyone else but ourselves. And that what happened in Genesis chapter 3? God comes looking for Adam. The Bible says in the cool of the day, God decides to take a stroll. He knows where he's at the whole time because God knows and sees everything. And God says, Adam, where are you? And Adam tells him, I hid myself because I sinned. And he said, well, Adam, why would you do that? Well, the woman you gave me. Right? Husbands, right? And he's like, I'm not, I'm, not letting you, I'm not letting this go down like this. No, it's the serpent, right? The serpent you created. And Satan's so ignorant and hard-hearted, he doesn't even say nothing. He's like, yeah, it was me. But we are sinners, and we need to own up to that. Just like other people break, broke your heart, you broke someone else's heart. Tell the truth. Just like other people, when they don't return your phone calls and dodge you, you do the same thing to other people. And they want to throw a fit because people aren't giving us the superstar treatment. We are sinners. Third, not only were we created for community, not only the sin break and complicate community, but we are redeemed for community. We were redeemed for community. What does it mean to be redeemed? The Bible teaches us that when Adam and Eve sinned, we all became infected with their sin nature. We were born slaves to sin. The Bible also teaches that the wages of our sin is death. It is eternal separation from God. But the good news is that God sent his son into the world and his son Jesus lived a perfect life free of sin. And he died on the cross and he took the punishment that we deserve for our sins so that we can go free. He absorbed God's wrath for every sin that we committed past, present and future so that we can experience joy with God. Everyone who looks 
to Jesus by faith and, and who puts their faith in him is delivered, the Bible says, or they are redeemed. To be redeemed means to be delivered. It means to be brought back. It means to be snatched up. We were brought back. We were delivered from our sin and we were delivered for community. Christ redeemed us so that we would never have to be alone. Hear what I'm saying. Christ redeemed us and he redeemed you. If you are a Christian and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus so that you would never have to be alone. Some of you that's sitting the wrong way. You're like, wait a minute. No, but it's true. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you don't ever have to be alone. You may feel lonely, but you don't ever have to be alone. See, the good news of Jesus teaches us that as a result of Jesus being hurt and discomforted, that you and I don't have to be alone in our hurt and discomfort. Joy in Jesus is now an option when we look to the cross by faith. Jesus willingly chose a role that he knew would lead him to be betrayed and isolated so that you, when you felt betrayed and isolated, can come to him knowing that he identifies with your isolation and with the feelings of betrayal. But not only that, not only that, but the Bible says that when we come to him with those feelings, that we get to experience Jesus. And we get to experience him coming to rescue us from our loneliness. We get to experience true community with Jesus when we feel isolated and alone. Because Jesus is a real person who comes to our need. When we call him, he will pick up an answer. And he may not come when you want him to, but as your grandmother taught you, he always comes on time. He is a bridge over troubled water. He is a wheel in the middle of the way. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is Jehovah Jireh. Jesus knows what it's like to be isolated, and he redeemed you so that you would never have to be isolated again. He told the disciples, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But that is not where community ends. Jesus didn't just redeem you to be in community with him and with the Father and with the Spirit. He redeemed you to be in community with other redeemed Christians. John chapter 17. John 17, verse 20 through 23. This is Jesus, a prayer to the Father just before going to the cross. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. He says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as You, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. God saved you in order that you could be back in the dance with him. In the same way that Adam and Eve danced with God in the garden before sin. 
God redeemed you that you could be a part of that dance, a part of that authentic community. He did. Look at what he says. Jesus says, Lord, I'm not praying for these only for his current disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. So we were redeemed to be in God, in Christ, and to experience that joy, that eternal joy that has been going on forever. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before man was created, they were there enjoying each other, dancing together, laughing together, loving each other perfectly without beef and without sin. They didn't create you. They didn't create me because they were bored and lonely. God is God. He's perfect. He's not lacking anything. They created you and they created me so that there would be a people who can enjoy everlasting, satisfying joy. And he invites you when he snatched you back from the dark when he took you from that wayward way, when he got you up out of that alley, when he got you up off that couch living for yourself, he snatched you back from darkness in order that you could be in that dance, but not just with him. He says, no, you're going to be in that dance with other people. And he says that that we should be one. We should be one. We hear that and we think, oh, yeah, yeah, we're one. The body of Christ, we're one. But we really haven't experienced that oneness. It's a a oneness that is deep and satisfying. It's a a oneness that that, that allows you to know that you are not carrying a burden alone. When Jesus lives, and, and, and as we read in the Gospels and we see him interacting with his disciples, he was showing us what true community looked like. It looked like to rejoice together, to weep together, to be on mission together. To see God work in a mighty way and to see him transform communities, that is what, when we are one, we will experience. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. We see in the book of Acts that early church, they took off their fig leaves and they clothed themselves with the community that God ordained for them. And we see in the book of Acts, in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations, in the midst of pain, that they were walking together and bearing with each other's burdens. They were in each other's homes. They were opening up the word daily. We have a culture and we stay in a time where it is just rare. It is rare for two Christians midweek for for no reason at all to call each other and to pray together. It is rare for us to sit across a table and to confess our sins to another person and to believe that God has given that other Christian a word that will heal us. See, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And and one of the ways that that happens is on Sunday morning when a preacher is preaching. But that's not the only way that that happens. We also grow in our faith and hear the word of God as it comes from the lips of other people in everyday life and life on life relationships. God is calling us to that greater joy. And many of us, we have limped and we're we're, we're limping through life because we really don't have anyone or anything to hold on to but our own ideas and misconceptions. And those ideas and misconceptions have, have led us into a dark place in our lives, into, into secret, hidden sins that are just all crusted over and deep, and that run so deep. And we're afraid to come free. And I'm telling you, God has given you Jesus. You can come free. He died for that dark, crusted over sin. But he also saved other people who have experienced just where you are. And you won't be free from that until you yell, ouch, and submit to this community.
Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. Look at this. God wants us to be one, united, knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses so that we can call each other out of darkness into that light more and more so that light can become more radiant, more blazed, more beautiful and so that it can clean the dross off of us. God saved us to be transformed in community. Transformation happens when iron is sharpening iron. And we read that in Proverbs 27, and we think that that's just like a a cute little verse, right? Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If iron is sharpening iron, that, that that is an aggressive process. There's some sparks flying. There's some fire going. There's some ideas that's going head to head and, 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 and some submission happening and some long, hard conversations happening. One becomes sharpened in Jesus when one is submitting and learning to submit to the other person calling you to repent and calling you to joy and encouraging you that you're doing well and, and walking faithfully. Colossians chapter 3, check this out. Satan wants you to be isolated. He wants you to be on your own. He wants you to put in fig leaves week in and week out and come to church and hear a sermon and go home and serve on a ministry without ever really opening up your heart and having people who can strategically help you. But God said that's not how the Christian life is meant to be lived. Look at what he says. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That sounds cute, but that is painful. That is painful. That's a process. And some of you know that process because you've been through that process and you, you know how it feels. Bearing with one another. So how does it happen? How do we put on these, these, these parts? It's because we're bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against each other, that means that you're getting close enough to other believers that they can have a complaint against you. Somebody can't complain against you if they never see you. And if you have the same greeting week in and week out for them, (laughs) forgiving each other, that's a part That's how God transforms us. Relationships are messy. We are sinners. We are going to sin against each other. If we are in authentic community, I am going to make you angry. You are going to make me angry. That's authentic community. If no one is ever getting angry and ever disagreeing, you're probably not in authentic community. You're playing it safe. You're hiding behind fig leaves. You're hiding behind trees. As the Lord has forgiven you. So why do we do this authentic community? Because we have been forgiven by the Lord and he is pointing us once again to that community that's in heaven. So you must forgive and above all put on love, which binds everything together in harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called. What's that? In one body. In one body. Being in one body means being close enough to allow each other to hurt each other, 
and to forgive each other. And together we're looking to Jesus, reminding ourselves that Jesus has forgiven us of all of our sin. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing, correcting one another in all wisdom. So you do it with wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thanksgiving in your hearts to God. To God. You see that teaching each other. It's not just a call for for pastors and for ministers. That's a call for members to be in each other's lives and to teach each other. No one person has all the answers. We all are, are parts of the puzzle. And we all need each other. God has put something in you. And God has put something in you. And God has put something in me. And when we all come together and live life together in community, that peace begins to come together. And what's the result? The watching world says, I want to be a part of that. Why? Because the watching world has already told us that what they need most, number two on that Gallup poll, is community and deep relationships. And they're saying, how in the world do you have these deep relationships? How is it that y'all are are so close? Do y'all ever beef with each other? Yes, we beef with each other, but we forgive each other. Do y'all ever compete against each other? Yes, we compete against each other, but we forgive each other. We move on just like the disciples competed against each other foolishly. That's authentic community. Jesus prayed for us to be that way, and he made a way to be that way. Relationships are messy. She's saying, I don't want to get in. I've been hurt. I'm telling you, relationships are messy. But guess what? If you're a Christian, that mess points you back to God. If you aren't going through trials and messiness, then you aren't being pushed to look to God and to deepen your faith and trust in him. It takes faith in God to forgive someone. It takes faith in God to trust again. It takes faith in God to say, you did this to me last week. You snubbed me last week, but I'm not going to snub you back. I'm going to love on you. That is a deepening process. That is a deepening process. What hinders us from authentic community is unbelief. I don't believe we believe that God created us for more. I don't believe that we believe that we can live lives filled with joy and not just kind of our everyday lives that we've settled in. And pride, pride. Our pride tells us that we can grow to look like Jesus on our own. We can grow to Jesus without being transparent. And the reason why some of us are not on fire for Jesus and and are so stale is because we're trying to do it on our own. Let me just figure it out. Let me just hide this. Let me just work this out myself. And you're at the same place. As believers, God has called us to be on mission, and I believe that God can use every single person in here to bring someone to know Jesus. But the reason why some of us will never have the joy of calling a unbeliever to repentance and to trust in Jesus is because we're not in a community that's going to push us to do so and hold us accountable. Because we, we think that where we are is where it ends and how it's going to be. When I look at the Bible, I see greater. 
I see God delivering and transforming. I see brokenness and infighting, but I see God being glorified. Some of us, we are imprisoned, and freedom only comes from community. It's coming to church once a week, meeting the vision that God has placed before us in the Bible. Praise God that you come weekly. Praise God that you come on Wednesday. Praise God that you serve in a ministry. But is that meeting that vision, that, that, that majestic dance that we see early on in Genesis? Is that meeting Jesus' vision of us being one? Do you feel like you're one with the body of Christ? Can you say that I am one, that we are one? Fourth and last, God will restore perfect community. God created you for community. You are at your best when you're in authentic relationships and in community. Sin disrupts and breaks community. Sin causes us to want to isolate ourselves and run in the opposite direction and to do our own thing. Jesus comes and he redeems us from community. He bears our sin for us. He says, As a result of putting your faith and trust in me, you never have to be alone again. And then he says, guess what? You've been adopted into a new family. A a, a family that is messed up, but that is progressively getting better. A family that repents when they wrong you because they have the Holy Spirit flowing on the inside of them, causing them to be uncomfortable in their sin. And then he promises that one day, You'll be in perfect community. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 12. One day you will be in perfect community. It says, after this, John speaking, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to the God to our God forever and ever. God promises that one day Jesus is going to return and he is going to make all things right. And not only is he going to make all things right, he is going to bring together a diverse people from different backgrounds, rich and poor, young and and, and old, different tongues, different nations, and we're all going to have one great thing in common, and that is that we love Jesus, and that he redeemed us, and saved us from ourselves, and put us on mission together. One day we will be in that great dance with the Lord without sin being in between us, without pain being in between us without competition being in between us, without our preferences being in between us. 
And the only thing that's going to matter is one person, Jesus, who was bold enough to become a man and walk the dusty streets of Jerusalem and put himself in relationships with people who were messed up, who was bold enough to allow someone to betray him, who he knew would betray him from day one and to walk with him every day, who was bold enough to go down the Via Della Rosa, the road of sorrow, who was bold enough to take 39 lashes, save one, who was bold enough to allow his arms to be stretched and his, his legs to be stretched and for nails to go through, who was bold enough to be put on an old rugged cross, lifted high in the heat of the day, spit on by those he created, left alone by those that he walked with and loved every day. His own community abandoned him. He died an isolated death so that you and I could have life and life more abundantly so that we could be on mission together and one day stand in heaven looking at God with white robes on say, how in the world did I make it? I was so messed up. Jesus. And on that day, the Bible says we're going to sing a new song. Everything's going to be new. Streets are going to be new. The city's going to be new and beautiful. Sing a new song. The Bible says that Jesus is going to have many crowns on his head. His eyes will be burning with fire. On his thigh, there'll be written a name that, that no one else knows. Because he's just that deep and just that good. What does that say, Jesus? <laughs> Not supposed to know. It's too divine. It's too good. Do you, I long for perfect community. Until then, we've been called to be an authentic community. Until then, we've been called to grind it out with each other. To know each other to humble ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and this picture of community, and I pray uh, that you would help us to, to reach it and to get there, not for the sake of just doing something new or, or doing something that uh, someone else is doing or just doing it to be busy, but for the sake of knowing you. Help us to know you, Father God to believe your word and to trust your word. Help us, Father God, to become that church who is able to counsel one another and point each other to the cross and to the resurrected Savior. Help us to be that church who is not looking to play it safe. Lord, you didn't play it safe with us. Help us to look to your example, Father God, and to not play it safe, to not be afraid of letting go and letting you be God. Help us to be that church, Lord, who believes that you can deliver, that you can heal, that you snatch from darkness. Help us to believe that you can use us to do that, just as you use common fishermen. You can use common people, Father. Help us to know, Lord, that that's not just the pastor's job, but that is every single person's job. Help us, Father God, to love your word and to, to, to eat it, Father God to enjoy it, Lord. Make it sweet unto our lips like honey, Father God. 
Raise us up, Father God, to be Daniels and, and Sadraks and Meshachs and Abednego's. Lord, raise us up, Father God, to be Malachi's and Zacharias and, and Haggai's, Father God. Raise us up, Lord. To be unashamed of the gospel. Help us, Father God, to see that we need authenticity. We need transparency. We are safe because the worst things that could be said about us was said 2,000 years ago, nailed on a cross and buried. They're buried. Please, Father. Raise up children in this church that will be missionaries. Raise up couples that will move and inconvenience themselves for the sake of the gospel wherever you call them. Raise up singles, Lord, that will be so on fire and so ablaze for you that if you do sin and when you do sin, they're made that they, they've got to go through Jesus to get to them. Raise up our, our, our seasoned saints, oh, Father God, and, and, and remind them that you have given them a word and And you have given them a call to disciple and to pour into the younger. Raise us up, Father God, to care about the poor in this city. To care, Father God, about those who don't have. Raise us up, Father God, to be generous, to be sharers, Lord. Create a unique and peculiar people, Father God that will frustrate Satan, Father. Help us to set up a camp, Father God, just an inch away from his domain, Father God, and rescue people, Lord. Get us out of show and formula, Father God. Rip from us ears that desire and long to be tickled, Lord. Give us, Father God, our Bibles, And make them burn in our hands, Father God. Give us a passion to read your word, to know you, Lord. Not for the sake of being legalistic, but for the sake of having eternal joy, Father God. Help us to know what it means to have life and life more abundant. Thank you, Father God, for this people. Thank you, Lord, for those whom you have called in this room, who have already made sacrifices with their life, Father God. Who are on mission, Father God. Who, who is your army, O oh God, mobilize us. Take us all to that next degree of glory, Father God. Let us not settle, Lord. Let us not cruise into heaven, Father God, on a comfortable bed, Lord. But let us crash into heaven on a gospel rocket, O oh God. Free us, Father God, from bondage. Free us, God, from, from sameness, O oh God. Free us from lameness, O oh Father God. Free us from religion, Father. Worthless religion, give us, Father God, a depth, oh God. Give me a depth, oh Lord. Make me bored, Father God, with anything that doesn't please you, Father God. Give us courage, oh Father. Give us courage, God. Save our young ones, Father. Save them, Father. 
Save the one who's today who doesn't know you, who's isolated, who's alone, who's depressed, who's suicidal. Help them to see the beauty of your cross. That that blood that was shed was for them. The agony that Jesus experienced on the cross was for them. That if they would repent and turn from their sins and trust in Jesus, that he will embrace them, give them new life. We praise God that when we fail, we don't have to be and have feelings of condemnation because there is no condemnation. We praise God that Jesus lived a life that we could never live so that when we fall, we can get up and praise him. In Jesus' name, amen.